Good to see everyone still having a good time. Lots of laughter and smiles. It's always what we want to see. <clears throat> All right. Thanks so much for uh, being with us this morning. If you've been with us over the last little while, you will know that we've been journeying through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at reimagining church in light of the book of Acts and how what God has done there should reflect what God is still doing in us as a church at the moment. And we had planned to continue on that journey this morning, but some of you will know that this week has not been a normal week, particularly in Cape Town and um, Social media, Cape Town has kind of been ablaze with, with people responding to some of the recent events. And so we felt like it was necessary for us as a church to take a moment to speak into, into those things, um, into gender-based violence, into the am I next idea. In case you haven't been aware, in case like me, you try and fast from the news because it's full of depressing things and uh, avoid social media because... It's also full of depressing things. Um, you may not know everything that has happened. Well, I, let me just um, recap some of the things that happened in this last week. There have been a number of horrific incidents. On the 30th of August, there was a young girl by the name of Jessie Hess. She was 19 years old. She was found murdered in her home in Paro alongside her grandfather, who was also murdered. On the same day, a 25-year-old girl, Leandre Jengles, a South African female boxing champ, was found shot dead in her home in Peter Maritzburg, and her mother was also shot and injured, allegedly by her police officer ex-boyfriend. A, a day later, on the 1st of September, the body of 14-year-old Yannicka Mallo was found in her grandmother's backyard on Mitchell's Plain. Her head had been bashed in by a concrete block, and her pants had been pulled down. The next day, on the 2nd of September, Six-year-old Amy Lee Diaga was kidnapped for ransom in front of her school in Thunderbell Park in the south of Joburg. Thankfully, she's since been returned. And finally, later that same day, the body of UCT student Uyenene Mokhajana was found. She was raped and murdered at the Claremont Post Office down the road, collecting a parcel. And that, that final murder, that brutal act that landed in the news, that, that has acted in our city as the straw that broke the metaphorical camel's back and, and launched us as a city into a real, there's, there's been an outcry that has arisen out of these things. Tuesday night, UCT students held an all-night vigil and UCT shut itself down. All academic activities were closed from Wednesday to Friday. All tests were postponed. So that students were encouraged to join in the citywide protests as, as people marched on parliaments. You'll see an image of that just now. Numerous schools, numerous communities held protests and vigils in honor of Uyunene and as a stand against gender-based violence that happens in this country. Both women and men have taken to social media to express their anger, their outrage, the hurt, the disillusionment that, that we carry in the wake of these murders. And, and amongst many of these statements, the call has sounded to, to rise up, to do something, to speak up. So as a leadership at Connect, we got together and we felt it was necessary for us to just engage with this moment that was happening in our culture and to use our voice as the church and as God's people in this time. And so I want to, I want to do my best, and, and just to say this is not an easy issue to speak into, 
But I want to do my best to, to speak a little bit into this and to speak into four areas. And I want to trust God to do some work amongst us by the spirits. And I, I want to speak into four parts of this idea. I think, I think the first thing that is going to be helpful for us to do is to recognize the, the context that exists behind the incidents that we've seen in the news today. And I, I think there's a fullness of the context that's helpful for us to grasp. Secondly, I think one of the things that we need to do as Christians is we need to take those incidents and that context and we need to place it into a biblical context. And we need to look at it and understand it through a biblical framework. Thirdly, I think we need to speak a little bit about how we as Christians go about responding to this thing and how we conduct ourselves in the way that we respond. And finally, we need to consider what it actually means to to rise up and to do something and what it is that we can do. So that's where we want to go this morning. The first, first thing we want to look at is the incident in its context. So Jack, if you put the next slide up for us. No, we, we, okay, well, the slide will get there. Right. But um, the, the death of Uyunene Mukherjana was the flame that kind of ignited our city in, in, in outrage. And, and a lot of writing, a lot, a lot of the communication has been around this, this call of gender-based violence and femicide. I don't know if you've seen that. But I think I felt I, I, want, to, I want to take a moment, I want to zoom out a little bit and ask, was Uyunene's death unique? Was it, was it different? Why, why do we feel this atrocity? And let me be clear, it is absolutely atrocious. Why do we feel that as much as we have? And so in preparation, I, I spent a lot of time reading widely. Um, I, I'd spent a lot of time digging for statistics, asking questions. Are, are claims of femicide justified? Should, how should my heart be affected by these things? What really is going on in our country? And I did managed to find some answers, and I'm going to share some stats with you. These statistics have come from the South African Police Force. They are the only agency that's report with gender distinctions. And so there are some other statistics that exist, but they don't give us gender distinctions. And so I want to share with you some of these statistics. In the last year in South Africa, just over 20,000 people have been murdered. That's horrendous. Of those 20,000 people, 3,000 were women. 1,000 were children. And about 70% of those children were boys. 16,000 men were murdered. Let me put that into a little bit of context. That means that every single day, 45 men in this country are murdered. That's about one man every half an hour. Every single day, eight women in this country are murdered. It's about one woman every three hours. Last year in South Africa, 50,000 people were raped or sexually assaulted. Of those, 90% are women. That's 45,000 women last year who were raped or sexually assaulted. That's 125 women every day. And friends, those are only the women who are brave enough to report it. means that there's a woman being raped or sexually assaulted in this country every 12 minutes. Breaks my heart. It is absolutely terrifying. means that while we're going to be here in church this morning, three men are going to be murdered and eight women are going to get raped somewhere in this country. You can only cry out, God, save our nation. What is going on? 
And you know, the, the, worst, the worst part about this is that this has been going on for a long time. This is not a unique spike that's happened this year. This is the reality of our country. In fact, over the last 10 years, murder has actually increased by 10%. Thankfully, instances of rape and sexual assault have come down somewhat, but they're still astronomically high. The murder of Uyunene was not unique, unfortunately. It was terrifying. It was horrific, and it landed close to us. But she was one among so many others who are being murdered and sexually assaulted every day. And, and I think that it is right, I believe it's right for us to cry together that enough is enough. That this should not and cannot continue. In fact, it's, it's, in some ways it's terrible that it's taken us as a nation this long to get up and say that. I think it's fantastic that men and women came together this week and marched on parliament and said, this needs to stop. And I, I know the solutions to that are not simple, but there needs to be a concerted effort by our nation that says this has to stop. This cannot go on. And I know one of the things that this has done for us this week is it's, it's brought to light, and particularly sometimes for us as men, it's brought to light the felt vulnerability that women in our country live with day in and day out. But it's also, for me, it's highlighted how cheaply life is valued in this country. Life is not sacred in South Africa. There, there is no respect. People will take life without thought. People will rape others with no thought to the consequences. Consequences to themselves or the consequences for others. There is no thought. There is no care. And that grieves my heart. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And enough really, really is enough. It's an image of the protest that happened this week. That's the context that these events happened in. But there's also a biblical context that they land in. I want to take a little bit of time to speak about that. Because what happens is when we go, when we go through trauma, either as a nation or as an individual, there, there is a need in us to, to find a way to assign blame, to direct anger as a result of that and, it, and I think what is happening in our country really should cause righteous anger to rise in our hearts. This is ungodly. This is demonic. But we need to recognize anger is a little bit of a dangerous thing, and we need to make sure that as Christians we direct our anger in the right way. Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're, we're quite familiar with a lot of the time rings true. He's, he, he warns us and he says, you need to be aware that we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That's sometimes a hard thing to say in light of what we've been going through this week. Paul says, be aware. That's not the end point of our battle. But our battle goes further. It goes beyond that which is just flesh and blood. You need to be aware that there is a spiritual force. We fight against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Some of you may know the living free course that we do here as a church. Some of you may have been for freedom prayer or deliverance prayer. You know, we, what we do when we do that is we recognize there have been spaces in our lives where as people we come into agreements or into alignment with sin in our life. 
And as we partner with sin in our life, we invite the power of the enemy into our lives and give him authority. And he begins to work in us. And, and very often, that access point, the place where the enemy gets to come in and begin to sow destruction in us, is through trauma. It's where we've been sinned against, where someone has done something terrible to us. And the enemy comes in and he says, you know what, now you need to accept a new identity. You need to hold on to bitterness, anger, rage. Because it's right. Because what was done to you is ungodly. You see that all the time. Friends, as a nation, if we look back on the history of our nation, it is a nation that is fraught with trauma. It starts with tribe fighting against tribe, and then it moves to race fighting against race, and then nationalities begin to war against one another, and oppression is institutionalized, and hate is nationalized. And violence becomes our modus operandi for how things get done. I mean, we've seen it here in Musenberg. The trains are late. What do we do? We burn the train. Violence is the way in which our culture and our society operates. And as I look at that and I look at our country, I can't help but see that the enemy has had a field day in South Africa. He has had a feel. He's been invited to run rampant, unseen by human eyes, and to sow destruction and the seeds of destruction everywhere he goes. And as Christians, we, we have insight into the heart of what is happening. And, and yes, that evil is often worked out through people. And often people, those people are steeped in sin. And there is a physical response that is needed from us to, to bring some part of the solution to the brokenness of our country. And I think we need to absolutely and totally affirm that and join in that. But we cannot let the physical response that is required direct our anger and hate towards the wrong people. We're called to hate sin. That's, our, that's, where, that's where our anger needs to be directed. It needs to be directed against evil and sin against its author, the devil. God speaks through the prophet Amos, and he kind of connects these two ideas together, the emotions of our heart and the practice of our hands. In Amos 5.15, he says, Hate evil and love what is good, and turn your courts into true halls of justice. Hate evil and love what is good. Because sin is evil. Sin is an abomination to God. It is detestable to Him. And it is right for us to turn our anger and to direct it at sin. And its initiator, the tempter into sin, the one who has laid out his schemes and plans for your life and for the nation of South Africa. And it is right for him to receive the brunt of our anger. But then we also need to turn our hands towards justice. And we need to make sure that the physical manifestations of sin come to an end as we seek justice together. James tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you and and, and often as we, as we wrestle with that, when we think about it on a personal level, that we talk about that often involving a battle for our minds. How the enemy looks to sow deceit and, and lies into the way in which we think and operate. But there is, there is a corporate reality to that, where we as God's people need to resist what the enemy is doing in our people and in our communities and in our nation. There are schemes that he has set in place that don't just affect the minds of people, but affect the whole culture that we're a part of. And we need to resist that as well. We need to stand against that. We're going to talk about that in a little while because I think there are, there are some things that are achievable for us in doing that and there are some things that are broader that we need to look at long term 
in terms of what we do. But before, I, before we talk about doing things together, I want to just take a moment, and this is a little bit of the, the uncomfortable part, but I want to talk about how we respond in light of the events that we've been through. Um, yeah, how we begin to do that, because I don't know, um, as you have been in this week, I'm sure, I'm sure that these events have provoked real anger in you, perhaps, and hopefully they've provoked a real grief in you for what's happening amongst our, our nation as we mourn those who have lost their lives in the state of our country. Perhaps it's, this has caused to rise up in you a deep awareness of the fear of living in South Africa. Maybe some of you have thought again about emigrating. I know those have been part of the conversations I've had. And maybe, like me, many of you have read a lot of what's been said on social media. Perhaps some of you have even engaged there. I mean, you guys are a little bit older on average than our evening service, but some of us still do that. But I'm sure you've had conversations with friends, family, colleagues about what's been going on. And I want to speak for a moment just into some of the things that I've seen as I've engaged in this topic, because there, there have been some responses that haven't been helpful, that I would venture to say have maybe been ungodly. And it's right that we respond, and it's right that we do speak into these things, but we need to do that in a way that honors God. There's a character that should permeate the way that we respond, that's able to point Jesus, people toward Jesus, not away from him. The first thing I, I've noticed is this, that because of the magnitude and the heinousness of what has happened, people have felt justified to use vulgar and ungodly language. I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't know if you've participated in that. But I've read around on social media and I see Christians, and again, justifiably enraged by what's happened, but expressing that outrage with F-words, with S-words, with C-words, and it's happening all over the place. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Colossians 3.8 But now rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And I know, I know like even as I've engaged with this, the question is, isn't that a petty thing? Isn't that a small thing to be concerned about in light of the magnitude of the issues that we're speaking about? Didn't Jesus criticize the Pharisees because they were so concerned about the small matters of the law and tithing the tiniest herbs that came out of their garden? And yet he said, but you've neglected the weighty matters of the law. I don't think this is a call to abandon the weighty matters of the law. It's not a call to abandon justice. But it's a call to, to call for justice in the same way that Jesus would have. We, we just need to watch what we say and how we say what we say. Watch what we share. If you found a post that's really helpful, before you share it, ask yourself, would Jesus share it? I know that sounds a little bit corny, a little bit cheesy, but, but in everything we say and everything we share, we don't just reflect ourselves, but we reflect Him. And He is holy and righteous. Let's make sure that our responses reflect Him. Secondly, another thing that, that I've seen a lot of, um, and I think is, has in sometimes been, been a little bit ungodly, is the, the, the tendency towards a knee-jerk reaction, the kind of a, an emotional reaction that, that comes out immediately without engaging the complexities of the issue. And, and, what is, and I recognize that, that that happens because of the, the, 
what has happened. It's, it's a deeply emotive issue, and that's fine. But I think sometimes that, that response and that reaction, when it's not thought out, responds in a way that's, that's been damaging. And, and we, look for, we look for scapegoats in these things. We look for people to blame. And in this issue, men have been those people. Men have borne the brunt of the anger of our society. There have been hashtags like men are trash. Not all men have been trending all over Twitter. If you want to go to Twitter and search, you can see what people are saying. And I, I understand where that's coming from. I really do. And I've read those things, and I've listened to the trauma that some women have been put through at the hands of men. And that is horrific. And it breaks my heart. But I, but I want to just say a few things about that. I know that the majority of murders are carried out by men. That's statistically true. Right? But again, you'll notice as a Christian, that doesn't include statistics on abortion. And yes, the vast majority of rapes are carried out by men. But it's also true that the vast majority of murders and rapes are carried out by African men. That's just the demographic of our nation. Does that give us the right to say blacks are trash? I really don't think it does. See, unfortunately, what happens in our world gets caught up in this idea of identity politics, where it's more important to, to just deal with everything as a group rather than understand the complexities and the nuances of what happens behind that. And that identity politics begins to hijack the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is that we're all outraged at what is happening. Instead of us being able to, to come together and to express our outrage and to say this needs to stop, we end up getting pitted against each other, men against women. Because men now begin to defend their honor and women want to lay blame against men. Friends, I want to say that's not how we should be operating in the church. 1 Timothy 5, 1-2, Paul instructs the church. He says, don't speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Right? Treat older women as your mothers and younger women as your sisters. That's his call. In Romans 12.10, Paul says, Guys, I want you to love one another with brotherly affection. I want you to outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do we really honor one another when we call our men trash? When we call our fathers trash? Our brothers trash? Our husbands trash? Our brothers and, our brothers and the Lord trash? I don't think we do. Thirdly, and, and this one is, is more to speak to the men. I know that sometimes in today's political climate, being a male is not always easy. And I know, ladies, you might not want to hear that because there are other things for it to be a woman that is not easy. But in our political climate today, men often become the target of identity politics, and particularly white men. And as a man, it's easy to feel as though everyone is always telling you that everything is your fault. I have these conversations often. In fact, I had one with a friend this week, and he says, I'm not going to have another child in this country because I'm tired of hearing that, and I'm going to go somewhere else where people stop telling me that. And that's a difficult way to feel when you are doing your best to live your life to honor God and to honor other people. It's a difficult way to feel. And so for us as men, when we begin to smell the identity politics that gets mixed up in a response to an issue that is serious and real, 
it can move us into being immediately defensive. And instead of recognizing the heart of the issue and what's really going on, and giving us an opportunity to empathize and to listen and to just stop and hear what's really going on and how this has affected our sisters, we, we get defensive. And we say, hey, it's not all men. It's not about me. And I recognize that. And yes, it might not be about you. But let's not pit ourselves against one another. We need it. One of the things that this has really done is opened an opportunity for us as men to listen to our sisters and to hear what they're going through and what it's like for them to take the train or to go to a shopping mall or to walk from their house to the police station, to go for a run by yourself. Sometimes we don't even think about that. It's just normative, but for them it's not. And it's an opportunity for us to listen. We need to watch that we don't get caught up into the game of identity politics ourselves where we put the validity of our emotions against the validity of your emotions because we're not actually fighting one another. We're fighting together against the heart of what is actually evil. So I want to encourage us as we respond together in light of these terrible things that have happened to follow Paul's exhortation to outdo one another in showing each other honor. So let's... Let's talk a little bit. What can we do? How, how, do we, how do we rise up? What does that mean? So that's something I've wrestled with a little bit. And as I was engaging with this issue, you see a lot of calls to, to speak up, to stand up, to rise up, to do something. What does that look like? Because to be honest, I think a, a part of that has just been, well, you need to do some virtue signaling on social media. So if I post something on social media about this thing and I've now done something, I don't know that that really achieves all that much. What should we be doing as the church? And I think there's something that we need to recognize in this thing, which I've mentioned a few times just coming here. There, is, there are some things that we can do now, but this problem is inherently a deep-seated problem. It's a systemic problem. It's something that is deeply rooted in our society and in our culture that has been entrenched and established over generations. And I think we need to be realistic about how we respond and what we can address and what's going to take time to address. All right, so I'm going to speak a little bit into some of the things that we can do right now, but there might be some things that are deeper than that and broader than that. And I want to, I want to genuinely say this, if there is stuff that, that is sitting in your heart that you feel like we as a church could begin to do that will make a change in the systemic underlying issues, please come and just share that with me afterwards. We want to consider that as a leadership. We want to hold those things, and we want to genuinely ask God what He's calling us to do at a broad level going forward. I'll start, start by speaking to us as men. I think the first thing we need to do is we just need to pause and take a look at ourselves for a moment. And, and just... We need to invite God to examine us on this question. Do we honor the woman around us in the way we speak, the language that we use, and the jokes that we tell? Remember the other half of 1 Timothy 5 says, Treat women, older women as you would a mother. Treat your younger sisters with all purity. Younger women with all purity as your own sisters. If we change that, if we, if we manage to do that, it's not going to change the whole culture that exists. Right? It's not going to affect it, but it's going to begin to show the women around us that we honor them, that we value them, 
Hopefully it's going to make them feel safe around us. And I think tied to that, uh, what we need to do is we need to begin to call out inappropriate behavior in others. And as we discussed this as a pastoral team, we sat together and we had um, Joe and Shelley and Linda in that space and Terry. And they began to share and they said, you know, guys, there have been instances where we've been in the church and men in the church have made inappropriate comments, inappropriate jokes, put, put us down in inappropriate ways. And that breaks my heart. That should not be the case in the church. It shouldn't be the case. And hopefully, hopefully we're not gonna, we don't have men in the church who are raping women. But we've got to start at the beginning. We've got to say we need to be honoring one another all the time. And we need to be conscious of ourselves. And sometimes, uh, I'm digressing a little bit. When I was a young Christian, I went to a boys' school. And uh, for whatever stupid reason young teenagers can find, we would we would talk about beating other teams. And if you beat them well, we would say, no, we raped them. That is a terribly stupid description, which I have come to learn as I've matured in the Lord and as a, a female friend came to me and said, Brad, what are you doing? How can you use that word? Don't you understand what that does to the woman around you? And I... To be honest, I didn't because I just didn't know better. And I was young at the time and I'd grown up in a boys' school where that's not most people's experience. That's not a personal experience for most of us. And it took someone to call it out of me. And I needed to recognize that and there was a refining that I needed to go through. And we needed, as men, just check ourselves and check our brothers around us. And me saying, guys, there are some things that are not okay to say. There are some jokes that are not okay to make. I was reading in my own sort of devotion time with God this week, and I, and I, read, I was reading through Leviticus, and I read in Leviticus 19.17 that this, this verse stuck with me. God says, don't nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so that you will not be held guilty for their sin. We don't really like to do that in the church. We find that difficult and awkward, but I think there is a call from God that we have to call out sin in one another where we see it, to Help one another towards holiness because God told us to be holy because He is holy. That's who we need to be. To fail to honor someone in the way in which we speak is sinful before God. So let's consider how we can outdo each other in showing honor and calling out the sin in one another so that we can be holy as our God is holy. <clears throat> Thirdly, I think there's a, there's a call for us as men to protect the woman around us. Peter writes... And he says, husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration. I like this um, version of the verse. It says, as a delicate vessel, right? And with honor as fellow heir of the gracious gift, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Look after her. Watch over her. Recognize that, in general, women are physically weaker than men, and there's a role that you have to protect and to watch over and to care for. I know I've got grief for this in the past because apparently chivalry has some unfortunate roots. Um, but let's make sure that the heart of that is not dead. If, you're, if you're, um, you're out together and it's late at night and there have been some ladies that are at your home and you've been entertaining and they're going to leave, walk with them to the car. Just make sure that they feel safe as they get there. 
Perhaps you're going, you're driving into an area and you're going to be there late at night or you're just, the area is not the greatest area in the world. Maybe you need to offer to drive and give someone a lift. Maybe you need to follow someone home after they, you've been out together somewhere to make sure they get home safely. I had a funny story about that. I can tell you afterwards if you like. A friend of mine did that for a friend and got accosted by the security guards. It was great. Maybe you're standing in checkers after church today and the person in front of you begins to give the cashier a really hard time for whatever reason. Will you stand up for her? Will you call that person out and say, hey, that's actually not okay. Why are you speaking to her like that? Maybe you're in a parking lot and someone catcalls a woman walking by. Will you stand up and say, hey, hold on, that's not okay. Will you speak to the cashier afterwards and say, look, I'm really sorry for how that person spoke. That's really not how we should be speaking to one another. I just want to bless you and honor you as a wonderful person. Who are we mentoring? Who are we mentoring as men? Who are the men that are, that are under us that we can raise up to honor God and to honor the woman around us? How are we imparting what we've received from the Lord into others to make sure that, that culture is growing and being carried? Maybe there's someone who doesn't have a father that you could stand in for. I think one of the analogies that's been helpful for me in this, and, and John was um, kind of shared this with us as we were chatting as a leadership, a year and a half ago, Cape Town was in the midst of a water crisis. We did not have enough water, and the, the city rallied together, and we began to conserve water as a city. Do you know that to this day, we still consume less than the city's targeted maximum consumption per day? Because there's been a groundswell, there's been a buy-in, there's been a recognition that, you know what, guys, as we do this together, we can, we can achieve something. And maybe together, as we all just begin to care enough about this issue, we can change the climate and the culture, that there will be a groundswell that says, this is no longer okay, and we're going to stand up and protect one another. If I can speak... For a moment to, to the woman, and I do so as humbly as possible. I know this has been a really traumatic time. I want to encourage you not to succumb to the identity politics that are all around us and not to throw good men under the bus in dealing with the heart of what's been happening. I want to encourage you to honor the godly men that are in your life and just appreciate them and encourage them to lead others in the same way. That's how we're going to grow this and build this up. I think we also need to share a caution that we don't allow fear to become a stronghold in our lives. Because that's, that's very real. It's a very real possibility. And, and living in South Africa at the moment, unfortunately, means we need to live with a certain amount of wisdom. It, it's just, I wish it wasn't the case, but it, but it is the case. But we can't allow that fear to, to rule our lives. Jackie, maybe you could... Would you be okay to just share the story you were telling me earlier? Just the one about walking to the police station. You can come use the mic. I'm putting Jackie on the spot here. My apologies. Yeah, on Sunday, I had to go through to the police station to get a, a document certified. And I live within sight of the police station. And it takes about seven to ten minutes to walk there. And as I left the house, 
Tom said to me, are you sure it's safe to walk? Now, I have never allowed myself to walk in that sort of fear before. Um, I've never even thought about it. It's just down the road as far as I'm concerned. But I found that as I walked that day, I felt edgy, I suppose. Is it safe? Should I be doing this? Am I being stupid? Should I have taken the car? And that walk that I normally enjoy so much, because especially at the moment with all the spring flowers, and I'm going on the edge of the wetland, and it's just beautiful, became an edgy, difficult experience, which I really had to then sort of say, this isn't right. Um, I've got to take this back. I mustn't walk in fear. And Tom also said to me afterwards that he felt a real check in his spirit after he had said that to me, that he should not have said that to me. And yes, we have to be careful, but we can't exist in a sphere where we are frightened of doing everything. Um, you know, we, we have God with us, and that's really important. Thanks, Jackie. I wanted to ask Jackie to share that because it's one thing for me to say that in theory. It's another thing to, to live that out. And we have to live that out every day, to live that out every day in light of what we're going through. And yeah, I, I think there's, I want to say that to offer a particular encouragement. If you have suffered some level of trauma, particularly in this area, as a woman, if you found yourself vulnerable, and, you, and someone has attempted to take advantage or has taken advantage of you and has begun to, that might have really sowed a fear in you. And, and we as the church want to come around you and we want to say we don't want you to live in that. Um, and so you might want to, we want, I want to encourage you to speak to someone. We want, to, we want to trust God for healing in your heart. And I don't want that person to be me. Right? So let me just say that up front. But if you would like you want to begin to speak about that. We are, there are women in our congregation who love the Lord and would love to journey with you through this thing. And I would happily point you in their direction or if you know them by name, I encourage you to speak to them. But don't allow trauma that you've gone through to continue to limit that in you. Finally, I think let's come together in this thing. I see Brian's got something to share. Brian, does it, do you want to be now? Is it going to fit? You can do it afterwards. Okay. Um, let's come together around this. Let's resist our enemy, the devil. And let's, let's undo the work that he has done in our nation and in our country. Let's pray that the strongholds that exist over our nation would begin to be broken and come down. Let's continue to pray in that. Let's not just do that this week because we've been made aware of it. Let's continue to contend for that. Let's allow God to mobilize us where we need to be practically involved. We've got a network of social action ministries that exist in this church under the banner we've called Agents of Change. If you want to know what we're doing, where we are getting involved in the, the ground level stuff of communities, where we're trusting for God's transformation and change in spaces so that this culture begins to get broken down, you want to be involved in that, come and chat to me. I can put you in touch with people. Right? But there might be something that we actually need to step up and do practically with the time that we have. And again, if God has stirred stuff in you, if there's for, for some other long-term stuff we can begin to do, please share that with us. We want to, we want to do that. Brian, do you want to share?
Pastor, I just want to share one thing. Um, there's a very important spiritual principle which I think we often ignore. And that is that there's only one thing that's more powerful than anger and hatred and violence and resentment, and that is love and gentleness and kindness. And in the world's view, those are the weaker things. We, we, we ignore them. In the world's view, to love someone who's hating us and is violence against us, to be kind and gentle, is the weaker view. But actually, in spiritual terms, it is far stronger because that's how Jesus overcame the world. And that's how Jesus overcame the sin. And I think in our responses and in our approach to everything, we cannot meet violence with violence. We cannot meet anger with anger. We cannot meet hatred with hatred. We have to meet it with love. We have to meet it with gentleness. We have to meet it with kindness. We have to meet it with the Holy Spirit. And, and that is incredibly difficult because that's not how we're taught to, to meet these kind of situations. And I think if we keep that spiritual principle in mind when we go forward, it'll help us a lot because anything else is not going to work. So I'd like to, I'd like to close with a, with a space of silence. Um, and as we do that, perhaps, perhaps we can start as a baseline and we can just be in mourning for the state of our country. Perhaps there might be something that God begins to stir in you of how you need to respond. Maybe there's a conviction that he's placing in your heart for something that you have done, haven't done, can do, that God begins to stir. I just want to invite him to give you space to say that just to you personally. My sense is it might be right for us to have some, some of us close our time together in a time of prayer. But just as we are, <clears throat> as we're together, in this, if you feel God give you something for us as a body, why don't you come and share that with us? Um, and we'll see if we can find space for that. Let's take some time now and let's just invite the Spirit to move our hearts around what's been happening.